listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you save your marriage no matter where you are in the process. Whether you're trying to avoid trouble or deal with trouble, I'm here to help you do that by helping you think about the mindsets involved, the process involved, the techniques, the way forward, the road to get away from the mess. But today I want to tell you about some dead-end roads, some myths of how you can save your marriage that seem to float around from time to time. Now, some of them actually contain tiny bits of truth, but the approach that people use, the way they use these pieces, that's where we get into trouble. And so we want to talk about just a few of the myths. There are lots of them out there. I just Today, I want to cover about five of those myths just so you have some things to avoid, some places you don't want to get stuck. Um, because the, the process of this, the process of working on your relationship is so important that when you fall for one of these tactics or these myths, you create more damage. Now, let me just explain why that is. You know, sometimes people kind of feel like maybe the best thing to do is it's kind of like, you know, spaghetti. Just throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. And when it sticks, you know it's the right thing. So you just keep on tossing it. And the problem is along the way, it's a relationship and you're doing damage to it because what you're creating is doubt on the part of your spouse. You're creating confusion in the process, and you're throwing disruptions into the relationship that don't make sense. One of the things that seems to be the case is even while we know that not everything you hear is true, we still fall for what makes us think it's true. It's confirmation bias. And so when we hear something we want to hear, it can trip us up. It can get us into trouble. And that's the problem. We've got to find some ways of making sure that in the process of saving your relationship and in the process of your attempts to save your relationship, you don't create more damage. So that raises the question of what this process looks like. How do you work through it? I suggest one of the things you do is make sure that Part of what's happening for you is that your thinking is being challenged. If you find something that you go, oh, that's what I wanted to hear, just be a little cautious. And I would just suggest that in all of life. It doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that we want to make sure that we're not listening with confirmation bias. We see it all the time now with news. You know, something comes across, maybe your feed on some social media and It just speaks to you and you know it's true and so you repost it only to find that it's not at all true, that it actually came from some other crazy source. Or you may not find it at all. You just keep believing it because it fits what you want to believe. Which brings up kind of my point to that. You know, part of what we need to understand about this process of of saving a marriage is that it does take a shift in your thinking. The way you've been thinking about your relationship, the way the two of you have been thinking about your relationship is how you got to here. And here is not where you want to get to. Sometimes people will say, you know, can you just help me get back to where we were 
two months ago, six months ago, two years ago, six years ago, whenever it was that they identify as the time when everything was okay, as if things took a wrong turn, when what often happens is things just followed the course they were already on to their unfortunate logical conclusion. And so going back to where you were is only going to get you back to where you are. There has to be a shift. And the shift comes with a challenge to it. And that's part of what we want to kind of look at. Okay, so that's it. That's kind of the backstory. One of the things that people often stumble upon when they're looking for how do I save my marriage, and and let me just say, when you say how do I save my marriage, I want you to understand that that doesn't all fit under one umbrella. And that's one of the things that I would just say to you. It's not that that you know you look at an expert and you go, oh, okay, so that only their thing, only for instance, only my program. I'm speaking for myself. My program, the Save the Marriage System, is the only one you should do. That's not the case. I will point to you to a number of other places that can augment what you're learning from me. For instance, Gary Chapman's idea of love languages. I love his ideas, and when I got to interview him, I was amazed. Harville Hendricks. And Helen Hunt, his wife, have created some masterful stuff. John Gottman, great resources. All of these are based in research. Not only that, but these guys have experience. And here's the problem. A lot of times on the internet, people with no experience are popping up with ideas that you go, oh, that sounds like a good thing. And I've heard some crazy ideas over the years. So let's start with kind of the the ground piece of that. If you see something that tells you that there is some psychological trick you can use to convince your spouse to stay, please avoid that. That's a myth. There is a myth that persists that you can use some psychological trick to trick your spouse into staying for the rest of your life. I mean, just kind of think through that for a minute. Some little thing, some way of saying something, some reverse psychology, for instance, is going to convince your spouse that's been unhappy and telling you they're going to leave and probably already gone through a lot of struggle around that, that they go, oh, well, that gets me to stay for the rest of my life. I mean, think about even the logic behind that. And yet it's said over and over. You just use this little reverse psychology trick and and it'll work. Or, Or let me go one step further. And this is the one that people fall for over and over, and that is the no contact rule. The no contact rule is basically this. For the next 30 days, you have zero contact with this person, and it's going to drive them crazy. They're going to get so jealous that they're going to become begging back to you. You're using the no contact rule on a spouse who's been saying, I need space from this. I'm not happy with where we are. I don't want to be in connection with you. And so then you're going to disconnect under the assumption that somehow that's going to turn the tide. This is two pieces of the puzzle that I often get. People will come and use my Save the Marriage program, and they will begin to restore their relationship, and they'll start to recreate the connection that's been missing or even create the connection that's never been there. And they're starting to get traction. They're starting to move forward, and everything's going well. And then they suddenly throw in some psychological trick to which the other person says, you're just insulting me. Or they suddenly drop into a no no contact thing. They're like, oh, now I've got them, right? I've got a little contact. 
Now I'm going to have no contact for 30 days. Probably five or six times every month, I hear from somebody who says, I just ruined it. And I keep saying this, please don't do the no contact rule. In fact, I have a whole episode of my podcast that the no contact rule is crap to try to warn people of it. So here is what basically happens. They do that. They work my program. They're getting connection. And then they go to no contact to which their spouse goes, oh, you ghosted me or, oh, you agree with me. So the last time it happened, this person called me and said, hey, I was using your, your program. I was getting some, uh, some good results. And so I decided I needed to, to kind of raise the ante. So I did the no contact rule. That, that was the raising the ante. I'll go from connection to zero connection, right? From healing the connection to destroying the connection. And so I umped up the ante is what this person said. At the end of 30 days, on the 31st day, in fact, the divorce papers arrived. And when they contacted the spouse to say, hey, I thought things were improving, the spouse said, you have had no contact in a month. I thought we were now on the same page. I'm a little confused on what happened at the beginning, but I do know now that you're on the same page with me that we need to end this. So please, please, please avoid falling into the myth that there is some psychological trick that's going to turn the tide for you, that you can either use reverse psychology and trick them into staying for the rest of their lives, or that you can no contact your way into connection with your spouse. Just kind of think about that. Okay, the second myth is much more of a theoretical myth for people. Over the years, plenty of people have come to my office, sat in front of me and said, we need to fix our communication. Help us fix our communication. That's the myth that the problem with their marriage is somehow a communication issue. It's a communication problem. We can't communicate with each other. So teach us some tools of communication. Now, that is a prevalent myth, not just with people, but with therapists. Many times people come in and therapists immediately go into talking about communication skills. They teach I messages and they teach all kinds of communication skills because they think that's what's going to heal the relationship. The problem is this. Communication is a symptom. Bad communication, struggling communication is a symptom of an underlying issue. It's not that it's irrelevant. In fact, Many times when I'm doing uh, marriage seminars and uh, marriage retreats, I talk about communication skills because we do want to make sure that we are doing good communication. But that's not the issue in a broken marriage. That's not the real problem. What does that mean? How is it not communication? Why, if, we, if you're having problems communicating, how is it not communication? Well, it's a symptom of the underlying issue of disconnection. So I want you to think of communication a little bit differently. Think about communication as being like if, if you are building a house, you want to have um, a way of getting stuff into your house and out of your house, of getting water and, and waste in and out of your house, right? So use pipes. And the pipe, if it's connected up to a good source, brings in some good water, right? And it takes away bad stuff. That's what pipes do in your house. Brings in stuff, takes stuff away. So 
let's just imagine for a minute that the pipes, all they're doing is a delivery device to your house. Let's say you accidentally mess up the connection. And so when you turn on your faucet, you get sewer. It's still delivering something, right? It's just not delivering what you want. Well, communication is like that. It's just a delivery device. If I'm trying to communicate with you a certain way, all I'm doing is moving information back and forth, right? We communicate every day in different ways. And sometimes we make mistakes in that. We communicate something we don't want to communicate. Sometimes we miscommunicate. So it's important that there be skills of communication. But many times people come to my office and say, you know, we just we need to work on our communication. We're not communicating well, and that's why our marriage is in trouble. And as they tell me that, the whole process begins to unravel because I'll sit and listen to them. And as they're talking to me, I understand everything they're telling me. Every word they say. And I ask them, Do you, have you understood each other? Is there something where you missed each other? They agree that they've understood each other. And then they try to tell me that it's communication that's the problem. They're not having a problem of communication. They have skills of communication. And the problem is, unless we work with the underlying issue of disconnection that's hurting the marriage, all I'm doing is teaching them to be more efficient in their arguments, to more more effective in their fighting. I'm giving them skills to take on each other in much more effective ways because communication as a delivery device has to have something behind it. So if you find yourself deciding that you need to fix your marriage by fixing your communication, recognize that it's kind of like going, I need to fix my flu by stopping the fever. It doesn't change the underlying infection. It doesn't change anything underneath it. All you're doing is lowering the symptom, not the cause. The virus is still there. Everything's still running around in your body. You just feel better because the fever drops a little bit. We have to deal with the real issue. The real issue is disconnection. We have to get back to that. The third myth is that therapy will do it. My therapist can convince my spouse to work on the relationship. That's where it comes from. So here's the thing. No therapist has some magic technique to convince your spouse to work on a marriage. So what often happens is that a spouse begs and begs, and finally somebody relents and goes to a therapist, and the spouse is hoping that the therapist uses some secret technique, some secret handshake, or something to convince the spouse to work on their marriage. In the process, the spouse walks into the therapist's office convinced that things can't go forward, and so they're there not to work on the relationship, but to kind of have that proven to convince everybody that there's no way that this can be worked on. So the hopeful spouse is sitting there waiting for the therapist to do their magic and convince the person to work on things. The resistant spouse now has to double down and once again prove to everybody this can't go forward. So they overstate things. But in the overstating of something, they start to believe it a little more themselves. It's, it's kind of like whenever we say something, and maybe the first time we say it, we're like, yeah, I'm not really sure about this, but this is what I heard. And we say it, and we argue it a little bit, and we convince ourselves a little bit. So the next time we say it, we're a little more convinced, a little more convincing. 
And we try to prove it to everybody over and over and over. And the more we prove it, the more we say it, the more we believe it. It's part of why our culture is in such a state right now, because people are saying things in echo chambers and they don't have to think about it. They just plow forward and they double down. Same thing happens in a marriage. So here are a couple of things about therapy that you need to know. First of all, about 50% of people who go to therapy divorce, which is no different than a general population. So there's no better outcome. About 80 to 85%, some studies even show 90%, say that nothing got better through therapy. So somewhere between 10 and 20% saw no improvement in their relationship through therapy. And yet it tends to be the first line of defense to get things going because somebody wants to save a relationship. And so they drag their spouse in, usually to an unprepared therapist who has no capacity of changing a spouse's mind, but can help them continue to double down on their belief that nothing can change. So now we have a resistant spouse, a therapist who may be doing marital therapy, but that's not in their training, using sometimes communication theory to try to improve communication. And we have three strikes. You're out. So don't drag your ther- your spouse to a therapist believing that the therapist is going to convince the spouse that you need to work on your relationship that's a myth number 4 then some people therefore believe that if the spouse doesn't want to work on it there's nothing you can do this is where i've been trying to change people's minds for a long time now It says it as my byline in my system. Save the marriage, even if only you want to. That's the second line. So a lot of people say, you can't save your marriage if a spouse doesn't want to. Are you forcing the spouse to stay there? My point is not that you can ultimately save a relationship by yourself, but that you can start the process by yourself. That is a huge distinction. There are so many things you can do on your own without trying to convince your spouse, without trying to drag them into a therapist, without reusing reverse psychology, without trying to do no contact. So many things you can do to improve the situation and begin to turn the tide. When you begin to turn the tide, you get to the point where suddenly the momentum shifts. Have you ever done that thing where it's like a leverage thing, right? You you put something and you're trying to leverage it. And at first, it's really, really, really hard. And then suddenly, the momentum begins to build and it flips over. Well, it's the same with this. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work on the front side. But when you start getting some movement going, the other person often joins in because they see things are getting better. And that's the thing. You, as you, on your own, can do great things to turn things around. Now, here is the thing. If your spouse is participating, not much can get in your way of improving your relationship. But if you're by yourself, that doesn't mean there's nothing you can do. So people come up to me and they often say, well, it takes two to tango. That is absolutely true. It takes two to tango. It takes one to start the dance. It takes one to invite the spouse in. It takes one to start 
the tango. So part of what you're trying to do is find some ways of starting that process. So yes, I just said that the psychological tricks won't work and communication skills aren't going to fix it. And no, your therapist can't fix it. Now, if you fall into this one that if your spouse doesn't work it, there's nothing you can do. If your spouse doesn't want it, that's where I'm suggesting that there is something you can do. There are ways you can work on improving things. But here is the other myth I want to talk about. Don't think that your way through this is a grand gesture. (laughs) I see that very often. There are some things you by yourself can do, even if your spouse is resistant, even if your spouse isn't sure that they want to continue with the marriage. And so the danger is you go, okay, then I'm going to step in and do this grand gesture. We're going to go on this huge cruise. I'm going to bring in this big jewelry or buy the new car or the big house or what, have a baby or get a new dog or whatever it is that you think is the grand gesture that will unlock it for a spouse. Very rarely is the grand gesture what's in the way. What you're trying to do is show your love. I understand that. But your way of doing that in this grand gesture is not likely to get the result you want. In fact, what it does instead is it creates pressure on your spouse. And your spouse goes, I, I, I can't do it. Now I'm, I've got all this pressure on me and I was already saying I didn't want this and now I just can't do it at all. And so a grand gesture often backfires instead of it leading to more connection, leading to more possibility. It often leads to less connection more resentment, more alienation, and more on the spouse to once again establish that they don't think the marriage can be saved. In the process of a grand gesture, you've actually caused your spouse to re-emphasize, to reiterate, to double down on the fact that they don't believe anything can be done to save the marriage. That's the problem with the grand gesture. So those are the myths that you need to be aware of as you're thinking through. First, don't use psychological tricks. It's a myth that that will work. Second, don't think communication and fixing communication will solve it. It's a myth that communication is your issue. Third, don't believe that your therapist has some secret formula to convince your spouse to work on it. All that will happen if you drag your resistant spouse in is they will become more resistant. If your spouse is ready to save your marriage, therapy can work, seminars can work, programs can work. But if they're resistant, that will backfire, which leads to number four. That doesn't mean there's nothing you can do. But number five, don't make it a grand gesture as your approach. If you're stuck, if I just left you with, okay, so I've killed the myths, but what now? That's where we work on connection. Just to be honest, that is the root cause. Disconnection is the biggest cause in marital problems. It shows itself in a lot of different ways. People will say, no, no, we had infidelity. That's a symptom of disconnection. No, no, there's so much anger and frustration. That's a result of disconnection. And so they keep throwing out symptoms and they end up playing what I call whack-a-mole, right? The next symptom pops up and you hit it. The next one pops up and you hit it thinking that you're dealing with the problems and you're only dealing with the symptoms. The underlying issue is disconnection. The other thing is stagnation. 
the fact is that probably both of you have not been growing in ways that you need to, both in the relationship and individually. So you have to work on that too. And the other factor, and this is what wraps it all together, is you didn't even know what kind of relationship you're trying to build. You're trying to create a we. Nobody told you that. So what you're trying to do is deal with the disconnection as you're both growing, or at least you start the process of growing and expanding and and unstagnating while you're building the we that will carry you through the rest of your life. Now, that's a lot. If you need help with that, please grab my system. It breaks it down and teaches you how. You can find that by going to savethemarriage.com, savethemarriage.com. My big thing is making sure you have the resources you need. We don't force anything on you, but I do offer you a free week of extra stuff. So you you get the fill-in-the-blank plan, and you can learn about your apology letter and all kinds of other stuff by grabbing my free week of the VIP program. If it fits for you, you can stay in. When I, I, I invite you to stay in, but you don't have to. You can use that free week to get some extra help. Also, to make sure you get your best help, the best start, you can have one of my coaches. Again, we don't force it on you, but have one of my coaches contact you for a get started session. It's up to you. You can claim it or not, but it's there for you if you need that. Again, the starting point, though, is savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. And this is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.